This is a very big week coming up in Beijing. Every five years, um, the Communist Party holds a national congress. I actually was at the one in 2012. Uh, the entire city is shut down. Uh, dissidents are swiftly outlawed or kept a very close eye on anyone who says anything remotely. Uh, anti-communist party is, is is made sure that they're not seen or heard for the entire time. Um, they go so far as shutting down factories so that the skies are blue over Beijing. It is a big deal. Uh, this is the 20th in its 101-year history, um, but this one's going to be different for one big reason, and the world is watching for this very reason. Xi Jinping, under normal circumstances, under recent convention, would be expected to give way to someone new as the uh, head of the Communist Party and as president. He's not going to do that. Instead, he's going to uh, be given a third five-year term as party leader. That, again, has not happened in a very long time. They tried to put an end to this kind of thing after Chairman Mao died back in the mid-70s. Um, you know, he started off as a pretty low-key, kind of amicable, at least that's how they tried to portray Xi Jinping. Uh, but he's become one of the most dominant leaders, in fact, the most dominant leader China has seen since Mao. China analyst Drew Thompson says Jinping has established himself as the sole leader of the country. He's not beholden to to the leaders around him. He's He is the core. He's not part of it. And as a result, we've seen some policy excesses. We've seen some challenges in China's economy. We've seen the covid a zero COVID effort that's created mass social and economic disruption throughout China. There are other things to be on the lookout for. Uh, there will be something akin to a State of the Union address, which C delivers. It is generally very long, um, very hard to parse any big news out of, but occasionally it hints at where things may be headed, uh, certainly about his power and his priorities and who, if anyone, may be in the wings to replace him eventually, if ever. Now, as was mentioned, the country is facing challenges both at home, including frustration over these very strict COVID lockdowns and rules, which remain. The impact that's had on an already slowing economy, the rising debt burden, an aging population, and then abroad relations with the U.S., Canada, European countries, the West in general, are bad. There's lots of talk about China's aims on Taiwan. So in other words, this is maybe a coronation of sorts for Xi Jinping, yet another one. But it comes at a time where there is lots of frustration. It doesn't manifest itself the way it might in other countries. Again, uh, security is very tight. I saw that firsthand while I was there. Uh, it's un indescribably tight. Anyone here ever talks about their freedoms being restricted? Go hang out in Beijing this week and see what freedoms being restricted really looks like. Um, it is something uh, truly astounding. Um, but we wanted to know more exactly about, you know, what to watch out for this week, what could come of it, and where is China headed? Because it means a lot for all of us these days. Canada will remember well the, the you know, the t hostage taking of the two Michaels. That's the kind of diplomacy China's up to these days. So it's good to know what's going on inside the country. To help us do that is Bruce Dixon. He's a professor at George Washington University. He's also the author of several books on China, including the most recent Party and the People. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Ben. Happy to be here. Um, we've read so much about what the meaning of this uh, particular 20th National Congress will be, uh, really uh, President Xi's consolidation, further consolidation of his power. Is, is that how, how to explain it to, to an audience who may not pay very close attention to these things? Normally, it would be customary for him to step down at this point. Yeah, normally after uh, serving his two terms as General Secretary of the Party, which is the top position in the party, 
uh, he would be expected to retire and someone would would succeed him. But uh, he made it clear back in 2017 he wasn't planning on doing that. Uh, this kind of upends what had been uh, a fairly reliable norm that you serve for two terms in your position and you either rotate to another one or you retire. Uh, and also that you, once you turn 68, you cannot be reappointed to a position. You're expected to retire, which would allow you know, upward mobility for people and, and a change of leadership every 10 years. Uh, but, but he made it clear that he was not going to uh, abide by that norm. And so uh, it looks as though he is going to be China's leader uh, until he decides not to be. It does, Mark. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that this was customary, but it, the idea to go to these term limits, and it doesn't mean that the, that the party secretary loses power. We see, of course, that former leaders have remained in the backgrounds, very much controlling things for decades. But uh, what is the motivation, do you think, for Xi to want to hang on to power here? And, and, and what kind of impact is it going to have on China going forward? There, there had been a pattern going back to really the, the passing of Chairman Mao back in 1976, that each leader was weaker than the one that came before. Um, and, and so Deng Xiaoping did not have the same authority that, that Chairman Mao did. And on up until Hu Jintao, who was the pre predecessor to Xi Jinping, who was the weakest of, of China's leaders. And there's a recognition that, that the leadership had become too weak. It's too much of a collective leadership and there was, a, uh, I think, a fair consensus that there was a need for a single leader to be seen as someone who was uh, not just the, the face of the party, but actually a more vigorous leader. And so it's both, I think, she's desire to remain indefinitely. Uh, but I think even before that, there was a recognition that things had gone too far towards more of a consensus-style rule and there was the need for a single leader, and that that became Xi Jinping. And Xi uh, said about, uh, despite some the, the early um, way of framing him as being sort of this jovial, jovial guy, uh, he went about quite quickly to consolidate a lot of this power through anti-corruption campaigns and so on. A lot of his uh, rivals are gone. That's right. Both uh, individuals and even... Uh, the different factions that we used to identify among the top leadership, um, none of them seem to be active there. We know in any political system, there are groupings and factions, formal or informal. Uh, but it seems at this point, there's only one faction, and that's Xi Jinping's faction. And most leaders are trying their best in their public speeches and writings to show their loyalty to him. Uh, there have been some reports that there's a some opposition to him. Um, a lot of that's, I think, wishful thinking that um, there's a desire that there would be a more reform-oriented leader and some effort to kind of constrain Xi Jinping's own authority. But a lot of that is just, I think, more wishful thinking than, than real uh, evidence or examples to back it up. Um, so he... There has been some speculation about whether the the other people appointed to top positions at the upcoming party congress would indicate if there is any um, organized or informal opposition opposition to Xi. Uh, but um, I think a lot of that's going to prove to be misguided. 
he will deliver something like a state of the union address um early in this in this uh, whole process what will you be looking for what are some of the big things that will be people will be looking for i i mean i've listened to those they could be pretty hard to decipher uh, or to find nuggets in but what will you be listening for that's right they often are they're very long you know it could be you know hours long at least an hour and a half or so um and often when they pan the audience, the people are falling asleep, even though they're reading the text. It's not exactly an exhilarating moment, um, but people are, are, or people who will be watching it and listening to the speech are looking to see some sign about what direction things will be going in, in the future, what the priorities might be, um, and it's not always a foolproof way of knowing what's coming, but it's at this moment, there is the top leadership will have worked out among themselves what the priorities are going to be in terms of both uh, new policy initiatives, both domestic and foreign policy, uh, key leadership appointments, um, and all of that will, will get revealed uh, first at the party congress um, and then at a meeting that will take place immediately afterwards where actually the top leadership will get formally elected. We've seen uh, some, very little, protest. Uh, we know there's a crackdown, as always, in the lead-up to these things, both online and in person, against any form of dissent. Um, do you sense that there is, I mean, given all the very severe COVID restrictions that the country's been under for ages now, uh, do you sense there is a frustration within the populace? Do you sense there is anger outside the walls of Zhongnanhai or the walls of the great, the great uh, Tiananmen Square, for instance? Uh, certainly in the cities that have experienced these long-term lockdowns, there's a lot of frustration uh, and resentment at the so the heavy-handed treatment that has been going on. Um, but it, it's relatively muted. The, the censorship system that covers social media um, is very effective. So they let some of that get out to kind of, you know, vent a little steam, but they also want to make sure that doesn't snowball into anything uh, in a country of 1.4 billion people, there have to be disaffected people, uh, but the voices are relatively muted. Um, there's no sort of one individual who really is kind of the symbol of, of, um, of dissent in the country. Um, so it, it really is remarkable, given the downturn in the economy, the frustrations over this very draconian zero COVID policy, that there isn't more um, public expressions of resentment and frustration, um, but it, it shows, I think, the effectiveness of, of the party's control, even over just basic communications within society. Looking abroad, you know, this has been a very different China, certainly internally under Xi Jinping than it was under the previous president, Hu Jintao, uh, but externally as well, in terms of foreign policy, can we simply expect more of the same? And you talked a bit about some of the challenges that China is facing internally, both a slowing economy, rising debt, these COVID rules. Uh, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of turbulence under the calm seas that we'll be seeing at the National Congress. That's right. And so in in, in terms of what the, the immediate agenda is going to be, uh, Xi Jinping will have a lot on his plate, both in terms of domestic policy, the frustrations over the zero COVID rules, uh, some efforts to uh, kickstart the economy, to reverse the decline in the real estate sector, 
the international criticism about its policy towards Xinjiang, tensions with the U.S. on technology, on Taiwan, and other issues. Uh, so it's it's kind of hard to point to major accomplishments at this point, at least at least in the in the, in the immediate past. Um, so he's he and the rest of the party have a, a big challenge going forward on on a variety of fronts. It'll be hard to focus on just one because so much needs to be done right away. Yeah, I mean, one of the big issues clearly is Taiwan. Um, do we expect to hear anything other than the usual, um, the usual line that we hear from Beijing on this in the next few days? It will probably be the the, the typical, at least in the in the recent past, tough line towards Taiwan. I think outside observers often underestimate how important the Taiwan issue is to China's leaders and. and and maybe the, the Chinese public more generally, uh, it is seen as the last remaining obstacle to complete unification of Chinese territory, traditional Chinese territory, uh, the final legacy of what China calls the century of, of humiliation, where um, other countries divided up parts of China. Um, Taiwan is sort of a legacy of the, the Chinese Civil War has been protected by the United States, uh, either directly through a, a mutual defense treaty or more recently just sort of informal relations. But it's, it is seen as this, this last symbolic example of the division and international influence uh, that, that harmed China's interest. Um, and they have never wavered in their um expectation and commitment to eventual unification of Taiwan. So the question is whether or not they're, they're losing patience at this point. Um, there's been speculation about that, but uh, we we don't expect an olive branch being offered at this point. If anything, the, the rhetoric may be a little bit uh, tougher just to make it clear that China is unhappy with efforts by the U.S., by uh, the European Union, uh, Japan to um, have closer, still unofficial, but still closer public ties. I mean, one thing that always surprises me about Xi's rule so far is that it felt like China had occupied a pretty comfy place on the world stage for a while. It was able to expand its influence in other parts of the world, including in Africa. It was able to trade freely and, and fairly um, uh, beneficially with the West. Um, and all of a sudden, it seems to have decided to throw a lot of that away in, in this sort of peak of nationalism. And it's hard to figure out what the end game is for a country that is aging, whose economy was heavily dependent on exports, and that shift away from that's going to be very difficult. It's hard to see, other than sort of this strange idea of, of national pride, what exactly she, what benefit he's brought to China at this point. You know, the remarkable thing is that China's leaders and many of its other um you know, what we'd call public intellectuals that, that speak on international affairs in China, complain that the U.S. is constraining or containing their rise, containing China's uh, expansion into the world, which is just astounding. As you mentioned, their influence is, uh, the, the expansion of their influence is so obvious. It's kind of hard to imagine how it could be any more expanded if the U.S. had adopted a different policy. Uh, so their complaint about containment just seems uh, very self-serving. Um, but if it's genuine, then then their effort 
is to uh, perhaps to rewrite some of the rules by which uh, the international system operates. Their argument is that they were not there at their creation. They did not have a seat at the table when the UN met and other organizations met to uh, set the, the rules and the norms by which international affairs are, are handled. Um, and so now they want to be able to uh, reshape the rules in, in one way or another. Uh, exactly what they would prefer and and how they want to go about doing it is unclear, um, but, but they nevertheless seem very determined to have a more vocal, more assertive, um, both diplomatic posture and and the specific foreign policies. I guess with Xi remaining in power, the only one thing that is a benefit to foreign governments such as Canada's or the U.S. or anybody else is that it is predictable. We know what to expect uh, under Xi Jinping, and I expect we'll see more of it uh, in the future. That, that's right. There is there is a certain uh, benefit to having the same individual there. You know what to expect. On the other hand, uh, Vladimir Putin has been the head of Russia for a long time, and we know what to expect with him. It's not always good stuff. And so with Xi Jinping in charge, I think we can expect to see a continuation of what is often referred to as their wolf warrior style of diplomacy, a more aggressive, um, more critical, uh, almost um, insulting style of diplomacy, quite different from what they had done in the past. Bruce Dixon, thank you so much. Thank you, Ben. Great to be with you.